You are listening to the Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball Podcast, where we use our expertise in the world of sports, as well as medicine, to bring you the most up-to-date injury news and analysis. Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of the Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball Podcast here, deep in the midst of Season 2, as we are almost at the end of July. We've got one day left in July, and then we are turning the page to August with just two months to go in the Major League Baseball season. My name is Brandon Bowers. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Ohio. And as always, every week we've got Dr. Physical Therapy Aaron Berger out in Pennsylvania. Aaron, my man, how have you been? I've been well, man. Uh, took the boards last Thursday, so just waiting to get my results back. The, the word on the street is that they should be out tomorrow. By uh, They're going to start rolling out at 5 p.m., so you'll know it'll be, uh, I'll be refreshing my email very uh very much so but yeah we're looking forward to that and getting getting out into the working world hopefully pretty soon after uh i get i get the score so yeah. definitely I, I, I remember that i remember that week after the board exam it just seemed to go on so slow because it's just suspenseful and you're like just give me my results so i can start working and get, and get on with my career it's crawling for sure i mean it's an online test so you would think that like did you think the same thing like i, I know you have to wait but like it's 2019 here you know yeah, I, get them I know there. I think there are other healthcare disciplines that you know, like right away. Like you finish, and then yeah, at least like a pass fail. So you can some type of idea how you did, but right. I don't know. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is still true. But I remember when I took my board exam. I don't know if this was just a rumor or or what. But there were some people were saying there was an option that you could pay, like ninety or hundred bucks to get your results then and there. Uh, so you can just have them and not have to wait out the week. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that definitely was something that was floating around a, a few years back when I was taking the board exam. I personally didn't see that. So I'm also very, I was also very like zoned in and ready to get the heck out of there. Maybe sure. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't blame you. Uh, yeah. The biggest I'll exam of your life. And uh, like we said last week, we hope all went well and hopefully you get your results here within the next couple of days. Sure. Well, thank you. Aaron, uh, what can you tell us about Jay Bruce? Oh, Jay Bruce for the for the Philadelphia Phillies dealing with an oblique strain. Um, his right oblique placed on the 10-day IL on July 17th. Um, the initial injury was from a swing and miss from Walker Walker Bueller. He tends to do that to some people pretty nasty out there in LA. Um, that was on July 16th, so the day before he was placed on the IL. Um, we're looking at a four-week return to play, which put, puts him back in mid-August. And we've talked about this on the show before, Brandon. Anytime you have those oblique strains, this this time it was actually the, the cause of the, of the injury itself was that, was that violent swing. Um, sometimes whenever guys are coming back from that oblique strain, that's what we read about is them swinging and missing and then re-aggravating the injury. But that was actually the mechanism of injury this time. Um, so but we're looking at uh, a strained oblique, like I said, um, depending on the severity, uh, we're probably looking at a grade one, grade two here. So we're looking at a four-week return to play. And since this was the cause of the injury, I'm sure they'll make sure that he's um, 100% to come back uh, swinging from the left side. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we can look for him to be back mid-August. I mean, obliques, I mean, it seems like every week to, every week we record, there's, there's guys who come up with this injury, and it's just such a vital group of muscles there on the, on the sides of the rib cage with the rotational motion that comes with swinging. So, Jay Bruce, hopefully not missing too much time with that oblique strain. And, I mean, it, it, like we said, it's just an important muscle group when it comes to playing baseball. And just like any, any soft tissue injury, like 
we talk about here on the fantasy doctors, uh, definitely something that could pop back up. So you want to keep a lookout for that. Yeah, definitely. Aldelberto Mondesi for the Kansas City Royals dealing with a shoulder subluxation, which we'll get into the details here of what that is in just a second. Uh, this injury initially occurred here on July 16th, and he was placed on the injured list, and he had a subsequent MRI that revealed it had just been a subluxation. As of uh, the last day or two, he had been performing light workouts and throwing, and the pain and inflammation in his shoulder continued to subside. So, Aaron, as you know, and just to inform the listeners, when we're dealing with uh, – uh, kind of subluxation or dislocation of the joint. Dislocation refers to a complete loss of contact between the, the bony structures that form a joint. So a shoulder that dislocates completely loses contact of the ball with the socket uh, of the, the, the glenoid in there. When we're dealing with a subluxation, it's a partial dislocation that uh, oftentimes it will relocate itself. So still can be pretty painful. I've dealt with a dislocation myself when I was in high school it did not feel good. I do not recommend it to anyone. And then I've actually had a, a couple of subluxations since. Imagine that um, if I don't stay yeah. on top of my home exercise program, I, 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 I get these subluxations. But if I stay, stay compliant with what I tell my patients to do, then I'm just fine. So subluxation, just a, a partial movement of, of the joint that relocates itself and dislocation completely uh, dislocated joint that has to usually be reduced by, by somebody else. So Tough injury for a baseball player, especially to the, the, the throwing shoulder uh, for Mondesi here. Again, performing light workouts and throwing as of the past couple of days. And there, there's no timetable for his return. It's just all going to come down to that pain and inflammation, mobility and function is really what's going to be the key here for Mondesi. But he seems to be progressing in the right direction. Is he related to Raul Mondesi at all? You know, I'll, I'll check into that here when you talk about Kiermaier, but knowing that the likes of Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Craig yeah, Vigio's kids are now in the fold, I think there's a good chance that this could be Raul Mondesi's son. Yeah, I, I think it was backyard baseball, or maybe it was MLB uh, based or whatever it was, 2005. I always used to play with Raul Mondesi. So I just a little, little flashback, TBT there. Have we, uh, talked about, have we talked about the backyard sports games on the show before? No, we haven't. I was a big fan. I was a huge fan, and uh, I Pablo Sanchez obviously is the man, and yeah, and I don't know if you saw Barstool came out with a T-shirt, and it's his it's his player card from Backyard Baseball, and of course uh, I, I had to go out and buy it, and it, it it has the letters at the bottom G O A T, obviously greatest of all time, the the secret weapon. So I mean, just a, a trip down memory lane with those games, man. That that was a staple in my childhood. Yeah, you you have him hitting four. Uh, Pete Wheeler leading off. I mean, that's those are just run-producing uh, backyard baseball leads right there. I mean, you know it, man. You know it. There, there was one time I was all the way in the World Series, and uh, my computer froze, and I lost all my progress. The season was deleted, and I was absolutely devastated. And and these are before the days of the cloud. We were we were dealing with floppy disks back then, kids. I know you don't know what those are. Um, yeah, depressing times back in the 90s and early 2000s. If you don't know what those are, kids, uh, go home and ask mom and dad or look those up on the internet and you'll, you'll be amazed. <laughs> Moving now to Tampa Bay, we have Kevin Kiermaier uh, dealing with a thumb sprain on his left thumb uh, placed on the 10-day IL on July 21st. He initially jammed it um, while sliding into first base trying to beat on an infield single. Uh, don't know what the research is. If you're faster, just going through the bag or sliding. You might need uh, sports science to, uh, to determine what, what which is faster because you hear right. it both sides yeah thankfully the mri revealed no late the ligament was intact um so we're looking likely at a grade one sprain a very minor sprain um the ucl is the most commonly uh involved ligament within the thumb so we're 
were uh, hypothesizing that it was most likely that no mechanism of injury would also fit that. Played two rehab games with High Ace Charlotte on Saturday um, and Sunday this, this past weekend. He's on track to be activated July 31st when he's eligible to come off the IL. Um, look to see him back with one of those fancy sliding gloves that add an extra two inch to your slide. Um, <laughs> just to protect that, just to protect that, uh, the hand. But Kevin Kiermeyer should be back actually tomorrow as we're recording this on the 30th. Yeah, I think, I, th- I feel like he's dealt with thumb issues before, has he not? Yeah, yeah he has. So definitely something to look any anytime the, Anytime there's something involving the ligaments, we can kind of see some laxity um, there after the injury, um, maybe predisposing him to a future injury. So I'm sure they're stabilizing the the joints around the around the thumb, um, but that's just tough to tough to kind of prevent if you're sliding into the bag violently like that, you know. Yeah, I mean you're, you're coming you're coming in at such a high speed, and then your your the base is is not going to move. <laughs> so what's going to move your your thumb, and that's when you run into some of these issues. Confirmation on uh, Alberto Mondesi. It is Raul Mondesi's son, and Alberto is actually his middle name. His first name is actually also Raul, so he would be a junior if uh, Raul Mondesi's middle name is also Alberto. Uh, but just another guy that makes me feel old. Uh, guys that are, exactly guys that I was watching growing up, and their kids are all now cracking the bigs. So I mean, it's just crazy, but it's just a, a sign of the times that we're not getting any younger. Hey, time doesn't care about us, Brandon. That's for sure. It really doesn't. Speaking of time and somebody who's been around a while, Ryan Zimmerman for the Washington Nationals is dealing with plantar fasciitis. Anybody who's dealt with this before knows that can be an absolute pain and really pretty debilitating. He was placed on the injured list back on July 22nd, and he actually suffered from this injury and dealt with this injury for two months earlier this season with the same problem. And if we look back even further, Aaron, to 2015 was his first bout of the plantar fasciitis. There's no timetable for his return at this time. Uh, it's really with this plantar fasciitis is irritation of the, of the fascia that is on the bottom side of the foot and helps you with walking. And really the bulk of the pain is kind of the, the plantar medial side of that heel. And it ends up being kind of a sharp pain. You get this pain uh, first thing out of bed in the morning or standing up after a long period of sitting. It can definitely impact your ability to run, jump, cut, stand even so this isn't something um that is rehabbed the easiest if it's been around for a while so he's he's most likely going through some form of physical therapy in some cases these guys will get injections to help calm the pain down there's other treatment modalities that are used in this situation but definitely not something that's fun to deal with if you've dealt with it before you know it's not fun but again no timetable for his return and being that he's dealt with this on multiple occasions previously i'd expect him to be out a little bit longer than on the shorter side of things Totally agree. Heading out to San Diego, Miguel Diaz, relief pitcher, had lateral meniscus surgery. He was placed on the 60-day IL on July 21st. Just an interesting uh, clinical tidbit, Brandon. I'm sure you I'm sure you know this. Lateral meniscus is actually much less likely to tear than the medial one, just because the lateral meniscus is, is so much more mobile than the medial. The, the medial meniscus is kind of anchored down onto the tibia or the shin bone compared to the lateral meniscus, which is able to move around a little, more, a little bit more mobile, so it's less likely to tear. Um, he had surgery, when I was researching this injury, he, he had surgery in February to repair his right meniscus. So yeah, the other knee this time, can't seem to catch a break. We're looking at a return to play of six to eight weeks. Um, and tons of athletes injure their meniscus. It's just a, um, there's one on the inner part of your knee and then one on the outer part of your knee. It's just um, to distribute forces, distribute forces um, kind of a shock absorber there on the shin bone um, within the knee joint. Um, 
Yeah. So one of the more promising prospects for the for the Padres out there. So I'm sure they won't rush him back, considering he also had a right meniscus uh, surgery earlier on in the season during spring training. So, yeah, t- tough luck out there for Miguel Diaz in San Diego. Did you happen to see, well, did he have a meniscectomy or a meniscus repair, did they it say? Was, it was a repair. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so just for the, listen, for the listeners out there, uh, are you able to share about the, the difference between the two? Sure, yeah. So a, a meniscectomy, they're just kind of trimming part of that meniscus off just to clean it out, um, get some of those. They're called loose bodies. So if, if cartilage is kind of hanging within the joint, it can cause um, locking, clicking, um, restricted range of motion, stuff like that. So what the surgeon will do is go in, clean up that area. So that's a meniscectomy compared to a meniscus repair. Although actually anchor the meniscus that was flapping, uh, that was causing the restricted range of motion, the clicking, the locking, they'll use sutures to clamp it back down to the rest of the meniscus. Um, so he's probably going to be non-weight bearing, which means he can't put any, any weight onto that knee for a little bit. Um, we're looking at two to three weeks of non-weight bearing, and then uh, they'll work to get the range of motion, strength back. And yeah, so that's pretty much the difference between the two. Yeah, and like like you said, with the with the meniscus repair, usually it's a little bit longer rehab time just to allow those sutures and those anchors to take uh, accordingly. Uh, I'm not sure how many of these you've seen clinically, but in in my clinical practice, I, I'd say nine times out of ten, I see a meniscectomy versus a meniscus repair. And that, I mean that could be just be surgeon preference here in my area, but I do see a high volume from a, a select few uh, groups of surgeons. Uh, but normally, I see a lot of more meniscectomies than I see menis- true meniscus repairs. As well. Yandy Diaz back down to Tampa Bay, teammates with Kevin Kiermeyer dealing with a foot contusion. On July 22nd, uh, he was struck in the foot and had an x-ray, which was negative, and then was placed on the IL on July 23rd. When I was preparing for the show uh, yesterday, I hadn't seen an update on his status at the time. this time. Normally, when you when dealing with these contusions, uh, they don't usually require a trip to the IL. So the fact that he was placed on the IL – indicates that the, that the contusion was severe enough to limit his function there at the foot that uh, they decided to be best is to give him some time off and, and get him right. When we're dealing with these contusions to any part of our body, really what it comes down to is pain control, swelling control, and, and function. It's good news that there was no break in the bone. So as soon as this bruise resolves, swelling's in check, that he can begin kind of a running regimen and throwing regimen, and he should be just fine without any long-term issues. So Yandy Diaz, a guy we've talked about, previously on the show for different ailments is, is back on the shelf again for the Tampa Bay Rays. Moving up to the Twin Cities, CJ Crone, first baseman for the Twins, dealing with some thumb inflammation in his right thumb. Uh, he was placed on the 10-day IL on July 22nd. And, Brian, I'm not sure if you knew this, but he was placed on the 10-day IL previously for the same issue. Um, so we hypothesize that he'll likely be shelved for more than 10 days this time. Mm-hmm. Um, he came, during his previous stint, he came right back whenever he was um, – eligible to come off the 10-day IL. Um, so like I said, we'll predict that he'll uh, probably take anywhere from two to three weeks to return to play. Um, as I was talking about Kevin Kiermeyer earlier, um, the UCL is one of the more commonly involved ligaments within the, within the thumb. Now, you can get a condition known as gamekeeper's thumb or skier's thumb. Um, just anytime it's jammed up against the base um, or during a swing or anything like that, uh, anything the UCL is very commonly involved with baseball injuries. If you think about it, just the, the mechanism of injury. Sure. Uh, yeah. So we're looking at more than 10 days for, for CJ Crone here and anytime from, from two to three weeks for, for the third first baseman. So another guy dealing with that UCL injury, we've seen the likes of like Mike Trout dealt with the UCL injury within the past couple of years. He actually had to have his surgically repaired and, and usually the surgery is pretty darn successful and you get back to functioning at a high level. But 
Uh, like you said, sliding into a base or catching that wrong on a bat definitely can cause issues. And with the thumb, accounting for a lot of the function of the hand uh, and hands being pretty important in baseball, this ends up being a big deal. And as we were talking about Diaz, we're just looking at some inflammation control, trying to get the swelling and pain control down. Um, so yeah, he should be good within two to three weeks. D. Gordon out in Seattle dealing with a quad strain for the Mariners. He uh, was placed on the IL back on July 23rd, so a week ago tonight. That was last Tuesday. As of Sunday, he had taken batting practice. That was July 28th, and he, he's moving along nicely, and they're looking at beginning possibly a running program later this week. As we've talked about with soft tissue injuries before, it's important that these things are rehabbed correctly and they, you don't, they don't get rushed because when they get rushed, they become – I mean, they're more susceptible for injury, and that's the last thing you need is a guy coming back from a soft tissue injury to hit some sort of a setback uh, to, to this quad that would lengthen his return to play timetable. So batting practice is a good sign. It shouldn't be too high stress on his quad, but running is going to be the real test. And again, the Mariners are looking at potentially incorporating, incorporating that in here for D Gordon later this week. So I would anticipate he's probably got another two solid two weeks to get through the rest of the rehab process and consider a, a rehab stint here as we head to the month of August. But he is progressing without setback at this point in time and should be back here sometime in the month of August. Joey Gallo for the Rangers, a hamate fracture. Aaron, what can you tell us? Yeah, so Joey Gallo dealing with a right hamate fracture. Gallo, a um, uh, individual on the show before dealing with, like we were talking about before, an oblique strain. Um, this time we're looking at the right hamate, which is a, a bone within the wrist, Brandon, that uh, runs on the pinky side of the wrist um, and actually has a hook on it. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a bony bony hook and the ulnar nerve runs right under it and it kind of survives. It provides sensation and motor function to the pinky side of your hand as, as well as the some of the smaller muscles within the hand. Um, he was placed on the 10-day IL on July 25th. Uh, we're looking at least a four-week absence here, possibly longer depending on his pro progress and if there's any neurological involvement considering that that ulnar nerve runs right under that hook of the hamate. Um, he had MRI done, which wasn't conclusive, uh, but he also saw a hand specialist and had, had further evaluation, and they deemed it to be a fracture of the, the hook of the hamate there in the wrist. Um, and like I said before, he dealt with an oblique strain right before the all-star break. So another one of these guys that just can't seem to catch a break. But considering, like we were saying, how, how involved the wrist is in the baseball player, this could be a, a tough one to come back from. And Gallo is having one heck of a year. So you hate to see this to, to Gallo. Did they, did they say is this being managed surgically or conservatively? Um, it is conservatively, I believe. I could, I could fact check it on whenever you're talking about the next fellow. Yeah, something, something to mention, Aaron, and I'm not sure how f familiar you are with this, but when we're dealing with these hamate fractures in baseball players, there's actually uh, the most common mechanism of injury is really the knob of the baseball bat jam jamming into that hook of the hamate down there at the base of that pinky. And what, what you find is, is sometimes guys who have fractured their hamate when they come back, and some guys even do this as a preventative measure uh, in order to avoid this hamate fractures, instead of using a traditional baseball bat with the traditional knob on the end they'll opt for an axe handle uh, knob at the bottom so that way the pressure that the normal knob distributes through the handmate that it's subject to high levels of stress is no longer there because you got this kind of axe kind of slanted into it and it's not a, 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 as impactful on the handmate yeah just adding more surface area to it for sure and it, he, he did undergo surgery brandon so like i said before looking at least a four-week absence probably longer than that so probably four to six weeks for gallo and something to look, keep an eye on here, I, I haven't seen any definitive research perform on this uh, on guys who have had hamate fractures, uh, but the, people always ask me, uh, is there going to be a concern when he comes back 
uh, for his power and his ability to have that high exit velocity. So it always seems to be like, like people are concerned guys can come back and usually contribute at a high level, but definitely something to keep an eye on when he comes back. Again, I'm not familiar if there's any formal literature and research out there on it, but uh, being a power hitter who hits home runs and, and hits the ball hard, uh, definitely something worth monitoring. Sounds like we can do a study there, Brandon. There we go. We can do the Burger, Burger Bowers or yeah. Bowers Burger. It sounds like a special at McDonald's or something, the Bowers Burger. I can get into that. <laughs> Brad Miller for the Philadelphia Phillies dealing with a hip flexor strain placed on the IL on July 24th. And the injury, this occurred last Tuesday. There's currently no timetable for his return. Again, soft tissue injury, hip flexor, oftentimes referring to the uh, iliopsoas as two muscles that sit on the front of your hip and help to flex the hip or, or bring the leg up towards your chest. And this is often strained while running and, and can, cause, can cause trouble. And so he's going to be shut down here for a period of time. They're going to work his way through the rehab process, reducing pain, improving flexibility as tolerated, and then really getting his, his hips nice and strong again. But the Phillies uh, don't have a timetable assigned to his return to play. If it's a grade one injury, typically, as we've talked about before, with other soft tissue injuries, we're looking at two to four weeks is usually what we're looking at. So if it's on the, on the low end of things, I, I would anticipate him back, hopefully by, before the end of the month of August. But if it's anything more than that, then this could bleed into September. So Brad Miller on the shelf, hip flexor strain for the Phillies, and currently no timetable provided by the team. But generally speaking, we're looking at two to four weeks. Staying in the NL East for my Braves, Danzy Swanson, shortstop, dealing with a foot contusion on his left heel. Um, Initially, he got the injury jamming it into a base. Uh, he was trying to beat a ball out. The contusion is simply a bruise where capillaries have been broken underneath the skin. So nothing too crazy here. Uh, Braves manager Brian uh, Snicker initially told reporters that Swanson's heel was worse than we thought. And I initially read that, and I was like, oh, God, here we go. Um, <laughs> but, but, he, but he just meant that he didn't think he would need an IL stint. He was placed on the 10-day IL on July 27th, um, but it's being reported that he'll be uh, – that he'll return on August 3rd, the day he's eligible to come back. So no, no big deal here for Swanson. I'm sure that was add some extra pad to his, to his cleats or uh, add an orthotic, whatever they need to do to protect that heel. But like, like, like we've talked about before, Brandon, anytime we're looking at a contusion, just trying to get that swelling out of there. And it's pretty much just, just pain control at that point. Yeah, it's really the best case when you come to any kind of injury. And I mean, just a bruise, obviously some cases you can deal with a bone bruise or a deep contusion that can be a little bit more problematic, but most of these things uh, resolve pretty quickly and these guys are good to go. Nick Senzel moving here to old uh, injuries that we've talked about on previous shows, uh, was sustained an ankle sprain towards the beginning of July. And this was when he was making an attempt uh, to catch the ball out in the outfield and kind of jammed his foot up against the wall. I believe this was also the day that we talked about that the Reds were wearing those sleeveless jerseys. Um, and so this occurred right before the all-star break, which was fortunate for him as he had the all-star break kind of as downtime did not require an IL stint. And he returned to the lineup and has been back in the lineup, uh, immediately since the all-star break. So no big issues here, more than likely a low grade, grade one sprain here for Senzel, a young guy, dynamic outfielder who needs to be able to move laterally and have those quick changes in direction to track down these balls in the outfield. But it doesn't look like he's had any residual effects as a result of this injury, and he's all systems go here for Cincinnati. I th I th right before we started the show, I was keeping up with the Pirates a little bit, unfortunately. I think he even had a double tonight. So there you go, Nick Senzo. Lo looking good. Heading out to Oakland, Nick Hunley, catcher. Uh, he had a knee scope activated from the 10-day IL on July 25th. And then, unfortunately, he was released from the A's on July 28th. 
and we haven't heard any news since. So if anybody needs a catcher, a veteran catcher here for the playoff push, I'm vouching for my man, Nick Hundley. Somebody give him a job. There was somebody we were talking about a couple of shows ago. I forget who it was with the, with the Yankees who came off the aisle and they released him too. So a couple of veteran guys floating around out there. Yeah. Like, like, thanks for, thanks for rehabbing your injury. We'll see you later. <laughs> Corey Kluber for the Indians, my beloved Indians, as you all probably full well know by now, uh, struck up by a pitch on the, uh, excuse me, not by a pitch, by a batted ball on the forearm back at the beginning of the season. And he's been on the shelf since. He threw actually a 45-pitch bullpen session on Saturday, July 27th, after previously having thrown a 20-pitch session. Uh, so he is making progress. He was scheduled for another bullpen session today. I haven't seen uh, a report as to how that went, but if he pitched today, I'm assuming it went well. Uh, and they're, they're looking at potentially a simulated game by the end of the week against some live hitting. So he's coming along. Indians have been playing some good baseball, so anytime you can get a, a former Cy Young winner back in the fold, it's always always good news. But – He's moving along nicely, and, and hopefully uh, sometime in the month of August he's able to make his return because he's been out really for the better part of the, the entire 2019 season. Yeah, that's awesome. He's progressing so well. Um, and, and just speaking on another Indians pitcher, I, I have a feeling you knew this would come up, Brandon. But how did Trevor Bauer not get hurt slinging the ball that far into center field? You know, the only thing – so he's he's big into the, the whole driveline thing uh, and, and the weighted balls. And so I've seen some videos on, on Twitter and on Instagram of him chucking some, some baseballs pretty far. So, yeah. I mean, it, it was impressive regardless. If there's anybody who I'd put money on to be able to do it, it would be Trevor Bauer. Uh, but that whole situation was, I thought, just a little childish and a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, like play, you played baseball. Like I can't even in little league. I never even saw that. I don't mean to throw any shade at Trevor Bauer, but that was just crazy. And he, I love how he had, he automatically knew it. He was like, "My bad." Like Terry Francona came out and like he automatically was like, "Um, that was so bad. I'm sorry." Yeah, Francona wasn't happy. And then I, I was watching the game. And then I, I watched the the post game and. Bauer was very professional about it. And the first, before he took any questions from the media, he addressed the situation and apologized and recognized that it wasn't something he should have done. And so, I mean, he, he owned it, which is good, but definitely not something you like to see uh, for a guy that's on your team. At the end of the day, would you rather have somebody like that that actually cares or somebody that's just going through the, you know what I mean? It, yeah, it's, no, it's, no, no, I, I 100% agree. I'd rather have somebody who's passionate and cares and, and might yeah. get a little worked up from time to time as opposed to somebody is just going out there, going through the motions, and really doesn't want to be there. So, I mean, I'll take Trevor Bauer 10 days out of 10. I hope he doesn't get traded for you guys. I saw, I saw some rumble. I was scrolling through Twitter before we hopped on, and it looks like uh, the stove is heating up for Trevor Bauer. So, I really, wow. want, to be able to, I really want to be able to keep him. Um, but if the Indians are going to get any kind of return for him, they got to trade him before the end of the season. So, whoever he gets traded to is going to be on that team for two postseasons as opposed to one. Yeah. So, heading out to New York. Couldn't do an episode without a Yankee on it. <laughs> Severino began a new throwing program on July 15th. Yankees GM Brian Cashman has been quoted in saying that Severino will need a, uh, six or more weeks as of July 12th to be ready. So we're looking at late August, early September for Severino to come back. Um, Cashman was also quoted in saying that he may be a low-volume starter or even a reliever as the Yankees um, progress their season and obviously are going to make the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, just to get his arm back, if, he, if he's 100% ready, he's going to be fresh heading into the, the later half of this season. Um, so that, that'll be a good pickup for the Yankees once he comes back. But, yeah, like I said, he began a new throwing program on July 15th. Haven't heard any, any updates on that, so you have to assume it's going well. 
So late August, early September for Luis Severino. I mean, these guys, these guys, electric arms, or even guys who, who play out in the field that have been on the shelf for a while, it's almost like making a trade for somebody and you're adding this electric player to your team without having to give up anything. Obviously, they've been hurt, but it's always nice to get some of these guys back late in the season that maybe give your team a little extra jolt as you make a push for the postseason. Totally agree. Staying in New York, we had one Yankee, and here's the Yankee number two, John Carlos Stanton, has really been hurt all this season. Uh, he's dealing with a PCL or posterior cruciate ligament injury in his knee. Per the most recent update from the team that came last week, he's still not performing baseball activity. Uh, so he's kind of in a holding pattern, still going through the, the rehab side of things, getting nice and strong through, through his quad, through his leg, making sure he's got good control, strength to the hips. Uh, so no baseball activity as of yet. Aaron Boone said that the earliest he would be back would be mid-August. But he, if he's not doing baseball activity now, mid-August is just two short weeks away. So I'd be hard-pressed to believe that we see him back before the end of August, really, and maybe even the beginning of September. So a guy, when he's out there, can hit home runs with the best of them, but hasn't been able to stay healthy this season, and it's been a tough blow here for the Yankees. That's it's pretty much a lost season for the guy. But the Yankees are still doing well, so. Yeah, it's one of those – I mean, obviously you're going to try and get him back for, for the postseason push and potential postseason, but there comes a point if it gets deep enough in the season that you almost say, well, when do we turn the page and just, just look to 2020? And not to St. Louis, Marcel Zuna dealing with uh, third and fourth finger hand fractures. They were at the base of his, base, base of his fingers, um, third and fourth digits. He was placed on the 10-day IL on June 29th. Um, initially, during his during his rehab process, uh, there was reported that swelling was a real problem, but has since resolved. He saw a hand specialist actually with uh, Yair Molina this past weekend, and they were able to uh, and Ozuna was able to take batting practice. Uh, and it was reported he was even sending some into the upper deck of Bush Stadium. Oh, so wow. they yeah. doing well. Uh, he began his rehab assignment uh, with Triple A uh, Memphis tonight, uh, and after he had a doctor's appointment on Monday, so all things went well. Yesterday, with the the doctor kind of doing a, a reevaluation upon the upon the hand, and he is uh, beginning his rehab stint tonight in AAA Memphis. Uh, we could we could expect to see him uh, within two weeks back up back up to St. Louis. They're hope they have a big home stand, so even even during that home stand, he could be back. That's excellent news for Ozuna. Obviously, starting that rehab uh, stint tonight, and then hopefully back in St. Louis soon. Luke Weaver for the Diamondbacks, dealing with a flexor pronator strain and also a UCL sprain. So he's got a lot going on in that pitching elbow. He was actually transferred to the 60-day IL last Friday and is scheduled to have a follow-up MRI later this week. This initial injury for him occurred back in May. He's got, he just has a lot going on. he got the flexor pronator strain, which we talked about before, and then the injury to the ulnar collateral ligament. Uh, so you wonder... Uh, how that's going to look in the MRI to see the, the updated extent of the damage to see if it's gotten better or worse. But a, a, a guy here that 2019 may, may be a thing of the past for him before too long if, if the MRI doesn't show reasonable progress. Uh, anytime you're dealing with a, a pitcher with an elbow injury, we're all on high alert. And this is a situation with that, that he's not just dealing with one thing. He's got two things going on in the elbow that oftentimes go hand in hand. So be on the lookout for results of a follow-up MRI this, later this week. And I would not expect to see him back the rest of 2019. Tough blow there for the Diamondbacks. Heading over to New York, the other New York team, Brandon Nimmo, an outfielder for the, for the Mets, um, dealing with a cervical disc herniation that you talked about last episode, Brandon. I mm -hmm. uh, resumed baseball activities on July 12th. Um, but he's not expected to begin his rehab assignment until August. So uh, 
from my sources, I couldn't tell if that was early August, uh, mid, mid August, uh, but Andrew Decomo of MLB.com reported on July 18th that Nimmo is still quite a few weeks away. Um, so we're looking at more than likely a mid August run. And now that the, uh, the Mets signed uh, Marcus Stroman, mm-hmm. so, I mean, they're contenders, right? Just like that, Brandon. <laughs> Stroman's an electric arm out there. Yeah. So look for, look for Nimmo sometime in August and, you know, from, from treating them, these cervical disc uh, herniations can be real tough just with the nerve, nerve symptoms going down the arm, uh, whether he's getting some weakness involved with that. You can see that sometimes, you know, just the severity is going to depend how long uh, he's on the shelf. Yeah, definitely, definitely tough. You mentioned the ridiculous symptoms that travel down the arm affecting individuals to, uh, to have sensory input and motor function as well. So, it's it's a tough injury. I mean, one of my last patients this evening is dealing with a pretty pretty bad cervical disc herniation and pretty bad radiculopathy. And I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty tough. So, uh, wishing Brandon Brandon Nimmo the best, and, and hopefully a speedy rest of his recovery so he can return to pitch there for the Mets here in, in short order. Waiver wire wire column has been a staple the past few weeks after the after the one flub that I left it out of the out of the script. And so your time to shine, Mr. Berger, with the waiver wire pickups. Let's do it. We got three position players this week, one from Texas, one from Toronto, one from LA in the Dodger fashion. Heading over to Texas, we're looking at Willie Calhoun. We've talked about Joey Gallo earlier onto the IL with a hamate fracture. Willie Calhoun has a 26% ownership. Four and twelve since coming back into the majors, um, and like I said, Joey Gallo is off for four weeks. So that's consistent at bats for Mr. Calhoun, slashing two eighty three, three twenty one, five twenty eight, and one hundred and twelve plate appearances this year. So he certainly can do worse out there. Um, the the big prospect coming up this week for the Toronto Blue Jays, it seems like they have a ton, is uh, Bo Bichette, MLB.com's number eight prospect. He's batting leadoff for the Blue Jays, um, and you see, you look for him to be up up for the rest of the season as long as everything goes well. Um, he slashed 275, 333, 473 with eight homers and 15 steals in 56 AAA games. And then heading out to the West Coast, we have Mr. Will Smith. Welcome to Miami, the great <laughs> actor of the 90s and 2000s. Just kidding. It's Will Smith, the catcher for the Dodgers with a 63% ownership. Um, and at this point in the season, any catcher with a pulse is a viable fantasy option. <laughs> Yeah, and Will Smith has had 21 homers in 61 games in AAA, and he's been up to the MLB already this year. So he has, he's getting his experience, only 24 years old, and uh, just an electric offense out there in L.A. So anytime you get a piece of that, it's like the Rams offense. Anything, anytime you can get a piece of it, you want it. You got it. Going back to the Blue Jays real quick, I mean, they kind of remind me of all these young guys coming up, remind me of the Braves just a couple of years ago when you had Swanson and Acuna all coming up. I mean, it's fun to see these young teams uh, that are being put together. Obviously, the Braves are doing really well now. Uh, and hopefully, I mean, maybe the Blue Jays in a couple of years really start to throw their hat in the ring in the East, AL East, and start looking good with all these young guys. For sure. And just breaking news, it just came up on my phone. The, the Braves are vying for Yasiel Puig from the Reds. They're a major contender in signing Puig. Okay, the only way that I think that this is allowed to go through is if the Braves get to wear the sleeveless jerseys. I would love to see that. <laughs> With, like, the cream coloring and the, the script A. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be a great look. Yeah. <laughs> this day in baseball history, this is July 30th, 2019. Turning back the clock to 1913. A gentleman by the name of Ivy Wingo stole second, third, and home 
in a Cardinals 9-1 to victory over Boston at Robinson Field in St. Louis. And Wingo, who was a catcher for the Cardinals at the time, accomplished the stolen base cycle in the same inning. And this is in the bottom of the second inning. He stole all three bags. I'm not sure how many times it's occurred in baseball history, but he stole second, uh, third, as well as home, all in the same inning. He's bugging it. That might kind of remind you of Willie Mays Hayes from Major League. Yeah, I mean, just swiping all the bags. <laughs> 1959 at Seals Stadium, uh, a name that's synonymous with uh, the, the Bay Area out in San Francisco. Willie McCovey collected four hits, which included two triples and four at-bats. And this was his Major League debut, July 30th, 1959. Uh, he was the first baseman for them, and he was selected to be the Rookie of the Year that year. Even though he was called up late in the season, he finished with 13 home runs in just 52 games. So the great Willie McCovey, who has the McCovey Cove name for him, out there in San Francisco where many Barry Bonds home runs landed. His, his major league wow. debut was this date in history, uh, 1959. 52 games named uh, Rookie of the Year. That's pretty, it's, pre- it's pretty darn impressive. When you're hot, you're hot. You are hot. Okay, this is straying a little bit away from the history of Major League Baseball, but, but just baseball in general looking at it here. So this is 2016. This was at Fayetteville's J.P. Riddle Stadium in the Coastal Plain League. There were 2,000 fans in attendance, and this was the Swamp Dogs was, was the home team. And they became the first team to play all nine starters at nine different positions and had their, their players rotate to a different position every single inning. So every nine of the starters played all nine positions. This ex- exhibition game was played against the Carolinas, uh, Virginia Collegiate Leagues, Kernsville Bulldogs, and it actually ended in a 5-5 tie after 10 innings. So the Swamp Dogs had nine players, played nine different positions, all in the same game. That's pretty cool. That's how you keep your arms fresh right there. Everyone that wants to talk about inning limits, just there you go. Just, just pitch everybody. Yeah, there you go. Everyone's arms fresh. There we go. With that, we are going to put a wrap on episode seven of the show for tonight, Aaron. Another great show. Uh, we're really in a groove with these things, and I hope uh, all of you listeners have enjoyed being along for the ride. We've got a couple months left in the regular season, and once we get to the end of the regular season in September, that will conclude the show. Uh, so we've got probably three or four more episodes. Looking forward to sharing those with you guys. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, just thanks. Thanks for listening. Once again, another good episode. We're definitely getting into the groove here. They're, start, they're starting to groove us some fastballs, Brandon. Uh-huh. Right out of the park. We're hitting for the cycle, man. Thanks. Hitting for the cycle, and we're, we're stealing for the stolen base cycle, too. Yeah, well, wearing sleeveless jerseys. <laughs> Twitter. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. The Fantasy Doctors at the Fantasy DRS. Myself at BL Bowers 12. Aaron at Aaron Berger underscore PT. Fantasy Doctors website, www.thefantasydoctors.com. And as we plug every week, we're a baseball podcast, but we've got content covering all sports. Fantasy football and the NFL season is right around the corner. So be sure to check out our exclusive fantasy football injury guide available for $4.99 on the Fantasy Doctors website. A lot of great content and capsules on guys who were hurt previously and guys who may be hurt now and what to do with them with regards to your fantasy football team. So be sure to check that out on the fantasy doctors website, wherever you consume our podcast, be it iTunes, be it uh, wherever you find them, Google, Google podcast, Apple podcast, be sure to download and review us on there. Those five-star ratings sure look great. So be sure to give those. If you have any feedback for us or anything you'd like to see us do differently, you can reach out to us on Twitter and we're pretty darn responsive on there. 
With that, thank you all for listening to episode seven. We will talk to you guys again in a couple weeks as we will be towards the middle of August, Aaron, and uh, we'll talk to you guys all then. See you guys.